psalm tonight, the book of Psalms, and look at Psalm 106 tonight. Psalm 106, I want to try to preach to you tonight about do you understand? Do you understand? You can also call this message how to turn the church into a zoo. I preached a message, uh, I think within the year that I took the church here, I preached uh, a message, something along the lines of animals on Noah's ark and likened the ark to the church, and that made for a real interesting sermon. It's fun to preach, I know that, but <laughs> just it is what it is. But anyways, uh, but the, you know God's people's likened to a flock, they're likened to sheep, and we have a great shepherd. Amen. And uh, then God, you know, obviously puts in under shepherds, puts in pastors and things like that. But we're likened to a flock. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of times churches and, and Christians, we become like animals. <laughs> we just do. That's what we do. Uh, you know, animals are not driven by intelligence. I know that's hard for you to imagine. But if you've got pets or if you have teenagers... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I looked right at Wyatt when I said that, and he said, <laughs> uh, I, I've been there too. But anyways, everybody made fun of me when I was a teenager. It's time for me to make fun of some people. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, you've got pets, and, you know, boy, they're not driven by intelligence. They're driven by reaction. They're driven by, in some senses, instinct, but they're largely driven by uh, self-gratification, self-preservation, self-propagation. Man, they're just, they're dumb. They're dumb. All they think about is, how do I survive? How do I get a full belly? And they're, they're not really driven by any kind of concept of, of self-consciousness. Uh, animals are weird. They're just, they're strange. And you know, that's how a lot of people act. A lot of Christians, really. They, and you know that to be true about yourself. I, you know, I've been in a, I've been in plenty of situations, and I want to look at that. I don't want to get ahead of myself tonight, but you get in situations to where that's really you're just driven by instinct. You're driven by reaction. You're not really driven by intelligence, and that's not the way that the Lord has for us to live. So let me not let me not ramble. Let's look here in Psalm 106, and let, let's pray before we read. Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us tonight. Lord, you know, God, I'm taking a little bit of a risk here, Lord, to just. Uh, saw this, Lord, laid this on, uh, I take it, Lord, that you laid it on my heart, God, right here before the service, and I pray you help me to be real clear, and I pray you help me, Lord, to get it across to you people, Lord, I, I really want to be a blessing, and God saw something here that I think God would be a, a great source of encouragement, Lord, I, I believe it would be a blessing to you people, and God, help us, Lord, help us to understand, help us to understand, God, Lord, we'll thank you for it, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bible says in Psalm 106, verse 1, it says, Praise ye the Lord. <clears throat> we could preach about that for a long time. Yeah. Praise ye the Lord. And that's, that's connected. I'm not going to elaborate a whole lot, but that's connected with what I'm going to try and get across to you tonight. Praise ye the Lord. That's a good place to start. As Christians, listen, that's where we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live in the place where we praise the Lord. Uh, we should not have to be coaxed. We should not have to be coddled and pampered into lifting up our voices and saying, thank God. Amen. You say, thank God for what? For whatever. Amen. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God. I wonder what God's will is for my life. Be thankful. Amen. In everything, in everything. So praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Is that true? Yes. 
Yes, sir. You're sitting here breathing this evening. He's good. For he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Those are all true statements, are they not? All right, look here in verse 2. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? Just think about that for a second. Verse 3, blessed are they that keep judgment and he that doeth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. So who's writing this passage? Obviously, they're connected with Israel. I, I hope you understand that. And if you don't understand that, you'll see it real clear here in the verses that we're getting ready to, to, to read. But he says, verse 4, Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people, that's Israel. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that's Israel, that I may glory with thine inheritance. Now, then he turns around and he says, We have sinned with our fathers. That's Israel. And I, I'm just trying to point out the relationship of the author with what he's talking about as far as history is concerned. We've sinned with our fathers. We've committed iniquity. We've done wickedly. Uh, Daniel, he got towards the end of the book of Daniel, and he started praying, and God revealed to him some things, some, some things that relate to end times, to latter times. And the way, the way that he opened up his prayer was basically, Lord, I've sinned. Lord, it wasn't just me. It's our entire nation. God, we've sinned. We have messed this thing up. Lord, that's why we're in the spot where we're at. That, I'm talking about that's the way, that's the attitude that, that, that Daniel was praying. He said, basically, what this psalmist is saying, we've sinned with our fathers. You remember Elijah got back, I believe it was Elijah, got back there and he was, I believe it was uh, 1 Kings 19, he's running from Jezebel and he says, Lord, just kill me. Just kill me. He said, I'm not better than my fathers. Have you ever got to a place to where, man, you was really flying high as far as your spiritual walk with the Lord, and you thought, man, I'm, I'm doing well. And you all, you, maybe you won't admit this, but you got to a place to where you began to look at people that, you know, maybe your mom or your dad or, you know, folks that's gone on before you and thought, man, I'm doing better than they are. I'm doing better than they've done. And then it wasn't too much longer after that to where he was getting to the place where he's saying, oh, God, just kill me. I'm not better than my fathers. We've sinned with our fathers. You know what you find, you, you know what you find out through time? People are the same. People are the same. You know, you might be different. You might have a different vice. You might have different challenges. You might, you probably have different victories. I'm not looking at a group of people here this evening that are all, all failure. Some of you folks have had great victories, have you not? Okay, but you know what you still know? You've sinned with your fathers. Yes, sir, all flesh is as grass. All right, verse 6, we've sinned with our fathers. We've committed iniquity. We've done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They didn't understand. So this is where I draw my text from tonight. Do you understand? And I'm not talking about do you understand what took place in Egypt what I'm trying to ask you tonight is, do you understand what God did for you when he pulled you out of Egypt? You know that Egypt is a type of the world. 
Egypt is a picture. It's the iron furnace. Pharaoh is a picture of, believe it or not, the devil. And when Israel is down in bondage in Egypt, that's a picture of a man being lost in his sins without hope and without God in this world. And there's only one thing that can bring him out, and that is the blood of a lamb. And God does that through a process of judgment. Yes, sir, when that death angel passed through, that was deliverance for the children of Israel. But that was damnation for the rest of the world. And listen, when Jesus Christ died at Calvary, that's really sealing the fate of this world. That's damnation for this world. But for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The only way to salvation is through the blood of God's Lamb that He provided at Calvary. Listen, when that death angel came through in Egypt, the death angel wasn't looking to see what version of the, of, of the manuscripts were being used by those people in those houses. He wasn't looking at what version of Bible was being used. He wasn't looking at what member, uh, what church the, those folks were a member of. He was only interested in one thing, is the blood on the doorpost. And listen, some of you folks, you, uh, you folks sitting in here this evening, maybe got things straightened out in your mind, got the right Bible sitting in your lap, part of a good church, part of a good Bible-believing Baptist church. You got all this stuff going for you. But listen, when you get to heaven, God's not interested in any of that as far as the salvation of your soul is concerned. He's interested in one thing. Do you have the blood of the Lamb applied to the doorpost of your heart? That's what he's looking for. That's where deliverance come from. And there was a whole slew of things that took place down in Egypt. And you know, this writer says, our fathers didn't understand. They didn't understand all that stuff that took place. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up, so he led them through the depths as through the wilderness, and he saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. You know, when God delivered you, God delivered you well. He did it completely. God didn't just save you from one or two things that you did wrong. Yes, sir. God saved you from it all. Yes, sir. You, you're so saved, as Brother Mark says, you're so saved, it's pitiful. Yes, sir. Well, when he delivered them out of Egypt, he got them across the Red Sea and led Pharaoh and his 600 chariots down there into the Red Sea and then just let the whole thing come crashing down around their ears. These children of Israel are standing on the other side of the Red Sea and they're watching the chariots of Pharaoh wash up on the shore on the other side. You say, what's that? That's deliverance. Yes, sir. That's how God delivers his people. That's how God delivers you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, he saved them from the hand of them that hated them, verse 10, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then believed they his words. They sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel. Isn't that exactly how a Christian is? Man, God delivers you and delivers you so well. God takes care of all of your enemies, and it ain't just a couple of days, if even that. You done forgot about it. Amen. Sit in here and we'll have a revival meeting, and man, somebody come in and scald you hide, and then towards the end of the week, somebody get in here, whoa, and start shouting, people running the aisles, and in a matter of about a week, you backslid as a devil. 
Ain't that the way it works? That's the way we are. We. That's the way we are. They soon forgot his words. All of that stuff that took place during the revival meeting or all that stuff that took place during a youth rally or a camp meeting or what you heard from some sermon during, uh, from some preacher during a sermon that he preached, you forgot about it. There you are. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. They envied Moses also in the camp and Aaron, the saint of the Lord. Boy, that sounds like a Baptist church now. Mad. Ah, you can't tell me what to do. Why? Because you're disqualified. You did this, this, and this wrong. And really what's at the root of it is somebody just envious. Human nature hasn't changed, folks. It's always been the same. There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. The thing that hath been is the thing that shall be. You want to understand how things are going to turn out in the future? Just look in history. That relates not only to prophecy, but that relates to man's nature. How is it? How is it that you're, you're, you insist that you know, you know these things about people so well? Well, I mean, I just read my Bible and I read about men like Moses. I may read about men like David and read about men like Judas Iscariot. Now, you figure out a thing or two about folks like that, yeah. right? Okay, verse 17, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. A fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshiped the molten image. Now, watch this. Thus they changed their glory in, into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. Now listen, these are the people that have sat down in Egypt and watched nine plagues come about, and then the tenth, the last one, the great one, to where God smote all of the firstborn down in Egypt. God delivered them, and all those Israelites supposed to have the blood of a lamb on their doorpost, and by that time, when all of it was said and done, Pharaoh has called up Moses and Aaron and said, Get out, get all your stuff, get all of your families, get all of your, all, all of your cattle, all the possessions, and get out. Get out and don't come back. Of course, he changed his mind a little bit later, and that's why he pursued him. But he said, get out and just, I, I don't even want to see you. Don't leave a hair here. And boy, Israel's marching out of Egypt, and boy, they're marching with the praises of God. They're leaving in haste. And by the time they get down there to Exodus chapter 20, down there where Moses is up on Mount Sinai dealing with God, getting the Ten Commandments, those same people, those same people that saw all of that. This is not their kids. It's the same people. It's like the, it, it's like the Jews that were crying outside of Pilate's hall while Pilate's saying, what do you want me to do with Jesus? Those are the same people that watched him open blinded eyes. They watched him make deaf people to be able to hear. They watched him raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw all that stuff. What do you want me to do with him? Crucify him. Human nature has not changed. God do things for you and God will bring you great deliverance. Won't he? God has. Man, some of you God saved out of the muck and mire. God has, I mean, just absolutely not just saved you, but turned your life around. Some of you have had things that you've dealt with in your mind and God's given you peace about those things. And then just give it a week or two and you'll be complaining. That's how we are. 
That, that's how we are. You say, you're not painting a pretty picture of people. I'm trying not to. I'm going to try and get you to see something here in a second. That's what the psalmist is describing here. And he said here in verse 19, they made a calf and a horb. They worshiped the molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forgot God their Savior. Sure, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. Now you go, I want you to see that. Let's go back up to verse 7, and it says, Our fathers understood not. Why did they get down? Why did they get down to Exodus chapter 20? Moses up on Mount Sinai, and while all that stuff is going on, Moses is getting the Ten Commandments. He's getting instructions for the tabernacle. Why is it that while he's up there, the children of Israel are down at the bottom crying out to Aaron saying, hey, make us, make us gods that shall go before us. And Aaron said, give me your gold out of your ears and give me this and give me that. And he, so he told Moses, he threw it, in the fire and lo, threw it into the fire and lo and behold, out came this calf. I don't know how it happened. Sounds like a five-year-old that got his hand caught in the cookie jar. Yep. Hey, what's that chocolate around your mouth? I don't know. It just kind of jumped out there and got on my face. It's, you know. How'd you wreck that car? Well, you see, this tree just jumped out and bit my car. That, that's the way we are. Well, that's, that's what's going on. Well, why is it? How is it that those same people could leave Egypt and get down there to the bottom of the mount at Exodus 20 and be doing the devilment that they're doing? Verse 7, our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They didn't understand. They didn't understand. Listen, I'll tell you what will make the difference in your life is you understanding what the Lord did for you when you got saved. It's going to make a big difference for you. You know why people come to church and they sit like bumps on a log and never get excited about anything that goes on in church? Because they don't understand. Let me ask you something. Do you? Do you? Do you understand? Listen, if you understand, that understanding is going to bring, it's going to turn on some lights in your life. It's, gonna, it's, going to, it's going to make a difference in the way that you live. Amen. Yes, sir, when that understanding grows cold, when that stuff begins to get covered over with the, with the dregs of society and with the dregs of this world and fleshly carnal concerns that you have to wrestle with every day, boy, it's going to make you very indifferent. It's going to make you very cold. Hold your place there in Psalm 106, and let's get on with this and look back in Psalm 49. Psalm 49. As you're, as you're turning to Psalm 49, let me read again Psalm 106, verse 7. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remem remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the, Red sea, at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Now, Psalm 49, there's a very interesting verse right here. Uh, Psalm 49, look at verse 20. We could take the time to read the whole chapter, but we don't, I don't want to take that much time this evening. I just want you to focus on this one thing right here, verse 20. The Bible said, Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. Man that is in honor, that's a position, that's a high place, prince, a king, uh, some high office that he holds. Or it don't even have to be an office, but it could be just any place of honor. Maybe a parent, maybe an elder. Those are people that you're supposed to honor. Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beast that perish. And in the context, what he's talking about is he's talking about how that man that's in honor and he doesn't understand, he's soon removed from his position. He gets cut down. But you know, I believe that verse also speaks to his behavior. 
You say, well, where do you get something like that? So glad you asked. Go over to the book of Daniel. Look over with me in the book of Daniel. And look in Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Now, Daniel chapter 4, when the chapter opens up, it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. So what you're getting ready to read is an account of something that Nebuchadnezzar wanted you to know. And obviously Daniel's writing the book, so he's doing it through the pen of Daniel. Daniel's passing along this information. And I'm not going to go through the whole chapter tonight. We don't have time to read all 37 verses, but I'll just summarize it for you. You probably already know it. This is the story where Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he says, well, I saw this vision. There was this big tree, and this tree grew up, and it was a great big tree, and all the fowls uh, lodged in it, and the beasts of the, of the field came and uh, lodged under the shadow of it, and then all of a sudden I saw a watcher come from heaven, and he stood, stands by, beside the tree. He's telling Daniel this vision. He doesn't understand what it is. He said, I saw this watcher stand by, beside the tree, and he says, hew down the tree. He said, cut it down. And he goes on and gives Daniel some more details. And Daniel, boy, it shocks Daniel. It shocks him so bad that he stays quiet for an hour or so. And he said, man, he said, I wish that this dream, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, he said, I wish that this dream was to somebody else. And he said, well, tell me what it's all about. He said, that tree is you. He said, God's blessed you. He said, God has made you and your kingdom a great kingdom. There's prophecies throughout the major prophets about Babylon and about what Babylon's purpose was as far as its relation to Israel. God used Babylon to discipline Israel for their disobedience. And he said, God's done all this stuff, but he said, boy, you've gotten proud about it. And he said, boy, you're, it, things are fixing to not turn out well for you. And Daniel gets down here, and let me see if I can find it right quick. He said, uh, verse 27, this is Daniel's advice to the king. He said, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. He said, Get right and start doing right. Okay, well, verse 27, All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. One year later, Verse 29, at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? He'd taken all the glory to himself. You know who, who gave Nebuchadnezzar the kingdom that he had? It was God. Nebuchadnezzar goes up to Jerusalem, which is the powerhouse of that time, and he conquers it in about three different trips, but he conquers it really in one fallen swoop. You're not going to conquer Jerusalem. You're not going to conquer Israel unless God gives you the liberty to do that. Now here he is. He's taking credit for himself. You know, Israel, when Babylon's coming, some of the Israelites run down to Egypt. Because they've got false prophets down in Jerusalem. This is in the book of Jeremiah. They've got prophets down at Jerusalem saying, oh no, we'll run down to Egypt and we'll be safe there. And some of them run. They go down to Egypt. And God tells Jeremiah, he said, you go grab you some bricks. And he said, you set it under the throne of that king of Pharaoh and say to that king, he said, where I've set these bricks, 
I'm going to send Nebuchadnezzar, my servant, and he's going to set his royal pavilion right here over top of these bricks. God has taken basically the entire world and given it to Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because God's dealing with his own people. And now here's a knucklehead, that same Nebuchadnezzar, walking in his own palace saying, look at this beautiful place that I've made. Look at this wonderful kingdom that I've put together. You didn't put it together. God gave it to you. Ain't that what you do sometimes? You look at your life and you say, man, look at this wonderful family that I have. Boy, I sure have raised a great family. You walk out there and you look at your 15 vehicles sitting in your front yard. And you say, man, look at all these wonderful vehicles that I've worked so hard for. You walk into this church and say, man, we've got a great church. Boy, we really worked hard for this place. And boy, if you're not careful, you begin to take the credit for that. Isn't this a wonderful place that I've made? I don't know, is it? God gave it to you. God let you have it. Well, watch verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it's spoken. The kingdom's departed from thee. Just as quick as God gave it, God's going to take it away. Verse 32. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. You say, what did God do to Nebuchadnezzar, Brother Nathan? Did God let his kingdom fall apart? No, God let his brain fall apart. You know what God did? God took the understanding that he had as a man and snatched it from him. And you know what he did? That fellow's out there now wandering around out in the field behind the palace. He's an animal. It's the man who became an animal. I'm talking to you tonight about how to turn a church into a zoo. You say, how do you turn a church into a zoo? Just let people's understanding go from them. You can already see what it alludes to. The understanding is found in the fact that, man, we didn't do this. God did this. You want to know how to take a church and make it a, turn, change it from a good Bible-believing church where people have the liberty to worship God and where people have the liberty to praise the Lord out loud? You just get in there and start taking credit for yourself. I did this. Yes, sir, just, just pile that glory right on your own shoulders. And what will happen is God will let, God will let you understand and go from you. And, boy, it won't be very long before you'll find out that maybe the preacher's running off with the secretary or embezzling money. Huh? Maybe one of the deacons is out drinking beer with, you know, whoever on Friday or Saturday night. Well, that's, not, that's not glorious. Yes, sir. Same hour, verse 33, was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. That's a man who became an animal. You say, what is that? That's a description of what you read in Psalm 49, verse 20. Man that's in honor, that's Nebuchadnezzar. Man that's in honor and understandeth not. What God did is God allowed Nebuchadnezzar's understanding to go from him. He's in honor. He had the position, but he didn't understand. And you know what he did? He's like the beast that perish. Now watch. I'll give you another example of a man in the Bible whose understanding essentially went from him. 
Saul. Saul has the position. He's a man in honor. But he lost an understanding. You say, what understanding did he lose? The understanding that it was God who made the kingdom. It was God who gave him his power. And so he got to a place to where he estimated, hey, I can make my own decisions. Not in these terms. It was, never came out like this. But this is what his heart's attitude was. I can make my own decisions. I'll just do my own thing. God said, go wipe out Amalek. No, sir. I'll keep the best of the stuff for this because that's what the people demanded of me. And then all of a sudden, you got a fellow that's sitting on a throne who's no better than really an ox. Look at that dumb ox sitting there. Yeah, man that's in honor is like the beast that perished. Now, let me get back to what I'm trying to say. That, those are examples. Here you are. You know, what's, you know what every person sitting in here is by the work of God in your life, by the salvation that Jesus Christ provided to you on Calvary? You trusted what Christ did for you. You know what you are? You're a man in honor. Here you are. God raiseth up the poor from the dust, and he lifts up the beggar from the dunghill. Sets them among princes. That's who we are. God pulled us from the muck and mire. Psalm chapter 40, verse 1. God pulled us from the muck and mire and made us kings and priests unto our God. Here we are. This is a people sitting in honor. Do you understand? If you don't, man that's in honor is like the beast that perish. You're just a dumb ox sitting in here. Isn't God good? Amen. Hey, it's so wonderful to be saved. Man, that's in honor. Man, here you are, man. You're clothed, like the Bible said about that uh, maniac of Gadara. You're clothed and in your right mind. God's given you families. God's given you possessions. God's given you prosperity. Do you understand? Hey, listen, your, your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The disciples go out and they say, hey, you've given us this power. Even the devils are subject unto us. And the Lord said, don't get excited about that. He said, in this rejoice not, but rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Hey, I got power. What you getting so excited about? You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. Yeah. Uh, apparently some folks that didn't understand. Hey, we got this right. Hey, we got this right. Hey, you got Jesus right. That's the thing that you really should make the big deal out of. Hey, listen, when somebody comes in here and preaches a, a sermon that recalls and recollects what Christ did for you at Calvary, boy, it shouldn't take very much problem at all to get you. Yeah, man. Thank God I'm saved. Amen. Absolutely. Somebody uh, just come in and brag on God. Hey, man, I'm just thankful for the long-suffering of God, thankful for the mercy of God, thankful that I'm not in hell. Man, the whole place should erupt. I understand that's not realistic. I understand we live in the flesh. I understand that, you know, it just doesn't work that way. But I'm just telling you the way that it should be, your heart's attitude. That's what it should be unless you don't understand. If you don't understand, sitting in a church and then all of a sudden, Sister Susie, two rows behind you. Wow! What's she so excited about? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, her husband's beating on her and her kids hate her guts, but she's got victory in her soul. I mean, I don't know. What's the big deal? sitting in church and all of a sudden somebody pulls out a thousand dollars and throws it in the offering plate. Oh, 
Man, we could, he could have took that money and given it to the American Diabetes Association. Yeah, but I mean, the American Diabetes Association didn't get him off of his drunken binge. Yeah. Jesus did that. What's, he, what's, he, what's all these fanatics about? What's all these people so excited about? I mean, well, they're just going to heaven. They just missed hell. That's all. That's all. Nothing to get excited about. You see what I'm saying? Man that's in honor. Here you are. You're in honor. And understands not. He's like the beast that perish. You've heard preachers get up and talk about man. It's like preaching to oxes. like preaching to sheep. Well, sometimes that's about the stare that you get. And listen, I, I'm not trying to be unreasonable. I'm just trying to get you to understand, hey, man, we got it good. We got it good. Man that's in honor and understands not like the beast that perished. Now, let me go back to Psalm 106 and let me read through here. I'll make a couple of comments and we'll close. Psalm 106. Now, look back in verse 1. You see what he says? Praise ye the Lord. <laughs> Does that make a lot more sense now? That, listen, he... He's prepping. He's introducing the psalm. Praise ye the Lord. He's getting ready to ramp up. And what he's getting ready to talk about is the great deliverance that God gave to a nation, which is a picture of the salvation of your soul. So before we even get started, let me just say, praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord for what? I mean, you name it. I mean, do you need a reason? Do you need somebody up here with pom-poms to say, it's time to praise the Lord? No, man, just praise ye the Lord. He's worthy. He's worthy. Yes, sir. Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? Blessed are they that keep, keep judgment, and he that doeth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. We've sinned with our fathers. We've committed iniquity. We've done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. You know how they provoked him? Oh, Moses, you led us out here to die. You know how they provoked him? Unbelief. Listen to me. If God is so powerful and so strong that he can take your soul and take it off the road to hell and put it on the road to heaven... What problem do you think you have that he can't handle? Listen, when you sit around, listen, I, I, I'm there with you. I'm preaching as much to myself as I'm preaching to you. But listen, when you sit around and you doubt God and you sit around and complain and whine as though, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. Listen, that is an insult to the Savior that died to buy your soul. Listen, the greatest problem that you've ever had in your existence is the fact that you was on the road to hell. You was headed to a devil's hell. And God sent his son and took care of that for you. All you had to do was believe him. All you had to do was believe him. You know, belief would do you well right now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, it sure would. Our fathers understood not. Verse 8, nevertheless, now watch, nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. When God went down there, when the Lord, when, Moses, when God sent Moses down there into Egypt to get those people out, just about the time that their foot set outside of the land of Goshen and they're beginning to head towards the Red Sea, 
heading towards the land of Canaan. You know what you find almost immediately? Not quite immediately, but almost immediately. You already find those people whining and murmuring and complaining. Listen, if it was you, if it was me, you'd have done went and thumped every single one of those people in the head and started over. But not God. You know why? He let them out for his own namesake. Here you sit, a man in honor, being saved, a woman in honor, being saved, having been born again. Let me ask you something. What is it that you've really done for Jesus Christ that merits Jesus Christ dying for you? You, you want me to pull out a piece of paper and we'll write it down and we'll post it up on the wall? Let me just go ahead and tell you. You ain't done nothing. You ain't done nothing to merit what Jesus Christ. Oh, but I've done this. Listen, I'm not saying that you haven't done nothing at all. What I'm saying is you ain't done nothing to merit what Jesus Christ did for you. You know why the Lord saved you? For his own name's sake. You go to look in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. And the Lord talks about Paul the Apostle under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost talks about the reason that God made the church, the bride of Christ. You know what the purpose is? It's so that God can have glory throughout the ages in his bride, in, in the bride of Jesus Christ. You know, there's going to come a day to where the Lord is going to have to judge angels. That takes place at the great white throne of judgment. And you know who's going to be standing there next to the Lord Jesus Christ? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the church. Know ye not that we shall judge angels is what Paul said? You know how I believe that thing's going to roll out? God's going to be dealing with these fallen angels. Book of Jude says there's angels reserved in chains of darkness unto the judgment of the great day. They're going to look at that great creator the one that put them together, and they're going to say, you're not right, you're unfair. And the Lord is going to turn and look at the bride of Jesus Christ and say, you're going to tell me I ain't fair? Yeah. Look at these people who didn't merit anything that I did for them, and I did all this for them just because they believed me. You ain't done nothing. You ain't done nothing Amen. to merit what God's Amen. done for you. God's dealing with you because of the greatness of his own name. God's dealing with you because that's just who he is. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. He's a long-suffering God. That's his nature. He said, I delight, I delight in long-suffering. I want, I'm, I'm looking for somebody to be kind to, if you just believe me, if you just take me at my word. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nevertheless, he saved them for his own name's sake. Those people didn't give the Lord anything but trouble the whole time they was on the way to Canaan. And then when they got where God said he was going to take them to, they did nothing but was unfaithful to him the whole time they was there. Except under the reign of maybe David and to a certain degree the reign of Solomon. That wasn't doing anything. They wasn't doing anything. But God still, there's going to come a day in the future God's going to bring them out of that land. God's going to bring them back into that land, I should say, and give all that to them. Why? The greatness of his own name. I just finished reading through my Old Testament. I forget where it was at. I think it's either in Jeremiah or in Ezekiel. In one of those places, the Lord tells, he, he goes through and he's talking to the Gentile nations in one of those prophets. And he says, when I get done with Israel, 
He said, the way that I'm going to wrap all this up, I, he said, I'm going to be good to the children of Israel. I'm paraphrasing. He said, but I'm going to be good to the children of Israel after all this idolatry that they've done. And he said, you know why I'm going to do it? He said, so that all the isles of the sea, that's Gentiles. He said, so that all the Gentile nations will know that I am the Lord God. Amen. Going to know who I am. You say, how are they going to know that? How, how good he is to his own people. Yes, sir. Nevertheless, he saved them for his own namesake that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up, so they led through the depths as through the wilderness, and he saved them from the hand of them that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. They believed his words. They sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. He gave them their request, but sent leanness to their souls. Go on down. Verse 21, they forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works, in the land of Ham and terrible things by the Red Sea. Let me ask you something tonight. Do you understand? Do you understand the miracle that it took for you to even be sitting here this evening and to be identified as part of the bride of Jesus Christ? Listen, I don't, I don't know what kind of trouble you got going on in your life as far as what failures and what shortcomings you have. I know you got them. I know I got them. But I'm telling you, there's going to come a day. There's going to come a day where the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 that he's going to iron all of that out. All of that stuff is going to be done away with. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, you're predestinated, Romans chapter 8, to be conformed to the image of his son. God's going to get it all ironed out. Why? Because I'm such a wonderful person? No, you're a slouch. You're a worthless worm. You are a worm. You're less than a worm. But he's good. He's a great God. And he's powerful. Listen, you ain't got nothing going on in your life this evening that God cannot handle. Lord, thank you, God, for who you are. God, thank you for your goodness. Lord, I just, Lord, wanted to lift up your name. God, Lord, just wanted to magnify you, God. And Lord, I pray, God, that you'd help us, God, Lord, to be impressed, God, with a sense, Lord, of who you are. What a great Savior you are. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Son to die for us, God. We don't deserve the least of your mercies. God, I don't deserve the least of your mercies. Lord, I don't deserve to be able, Lord, to serve you in any capacity. God, thank you, Lord, for the great privilege of being able to do so. Help us tonight, God. Some have come, Lord, tonight, God, to pray. Lord, pray that you'd speak to their hearts and help them, Lord. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Hey, wh why don't you just find a place, whether at an altar or there in your pew, just bow your head and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for what you've done for me. Thank you for saving my soul. That will not be a prayer that's in vain. It will not be a prayer that's in vain. Amen.